Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The raid on President Trump's home is the top story. And it has a couple of different angles to it, both legal and political. And while I'm going to get into more of, of the political, and I, uh, if you missed my conversation with William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com, just to kind of break down what it is that we know, is there more to it than a layman might be aware of? Not only is there the political of what does this mean 2022, 2024, what does it mean for the electorate? What does it mean for the Republican Party? I shared with you that Kevin McCarthy, the House Minority Leader, has stated very, very clearly uh, that there's going to be an investigation into the DOJ and to Attorney General Merrick Garland if Republicans get control of the House. Going so far, did the GOP leader, to say, Attorney General Garland, preserve your, cal- preserve your documents and clear your calendar. Then you've seen other Republicans engage, including Congressman Jim Banks, who has stated that Republicans have a moral duty to fight back. The question before us is fight back against what? Against whom? How? And is this Republican Party set up to do it? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Guys, always a pleasure to be with you. Congressman Jim Banks joins us right now from the Indiana 3rd District, the Fort Wayne area of Indiana. He also heads up the Republican Study uh, Committee. You heard about the raid yesterday. Did you get uh, word about this before President Trump uh, shared this via email? Were you notified about anything about the raid? How did you find out? Yeah, of course, I found out like you did everybody else, Tony. Uh, this was uh, something we found out about in the news. The, the Department of Justice has yet to tell us why they raided the home of a former president. This has never happened in American history before. The American people deserve an explanation. I got to tell you, my phone is blowing up. Uh, constituents, supporters in my district are unhinged and, and upset about this, and rightly so, without a valid explanation of, of how something has never happened before in the history of our country and why, why this was warranted, uh, this, the, the, this leaves a lot, of, a lot of questions, a lot more questions about the, the politicized nature of the Department of Justice on Joe Biden's watch. We deserve answers. And, and as uh, you mentioned, we have to fight back against a, 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 a political, a politicized effort by the Biden administration to go after their political enemies. If they can do this to a former president of the United States, imagine what they can do to you. So this idea of going after him, there has been a conversation, Andrew McCarthy laying it out in the pages of the New York Post today, that the president may have taken classified documents with him to Mar-a-Lago. Is is it the position of the Republican Party that that's not a big deal? A raid on the home of of a former president over classified documents. Keep in mind, the president of the United States can declassify anything. Uh, he, he has that authority as the president. We don't know what, what these documents in question are. The, that's what the, the AP is reporting, that that is the case. Uh, is it the case the Department of Justice deserves to tell the American people what the, what the heck they were looking for, what they obtained from the raid, what the motivation, the justification was for it? 
in the first place. Otherwise, it leaves a lot of questions, uh, leaves, leads to a lot of questions about the politicized nature of what they're doing in the first place. So that, 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 that responsibility falls on the shoulders of Merrick Garland to tell the American people you should do it immediately. You should have done it already to tell us what they were up to to begin with. Talking to Congressman Jim Banks of the Indiana 3rd District, chairman of the Republican Study uh, Committee, Uh, I make uh, the argument and have made the argument uh, that it is the raid that is the conversation piece. Uh, Whether or not he had the documents, this was already a discussion going on. This was known. The raid seems wholly unnecessary. Having to have a safe cracker come in and break a a safe to which nothing was found uh, in the safe, it seems certainly a level too extreme. But when the leader, Kevin McCarthy, who you work closely with, tells the attorney general to preserve your documents and clear your calendar, that is uh, Republicans are going to fight back uh, against this. When you state uh, that Republicans have to fight back, the question is, what does that even mean, sir? Because the Republican Party historically, when they get power, doesn't actually fight at all. Well, this is a new Republican Party, and, and uh, when Kevin McCarthy is the Speaker of the House, and many of us who have come up uh, in this era, our, our eyes have been opened uh, completely to what the left will do. They will do anything and everything to keep Donald Trump's name off the ballot, and that, that's what the motivation behind all of this is. It is a political witch hunt. We went through the from the Russian collusion hoax to impeachment to another impeachment to the sham January 6th committee hearings, and now a, an unprecedented raid on the home of a former president looking for classified documents, which had been widely reported before, by the way, Tony. I mean, what's missing in all of this is that there are other ways to obtain those documents than to send in uh, the FBI to go raid his home. I mean, this is highly political in nature, and uh, we've never seen anything like it before. So what Kevin McCarthy, the, the next Speaker of the House, is talking about is on January 2nd, If there's ever been the right man in the right place at the right time, it's going to be uh, Congressman Jim Jordan, who's going to be chairing the House Judiciary Committee with direct oversight of the Department of Justice, who I expect will call hearings on January 2nd when when Nancy Pelosi gives the gavel to Kevin McCarthy and and Republicans go from the minority party to to the majority party and take over leadership of these committees. I can guarantee you that subpoenas are going to be flying in Christopher Ray and Merrick Garland's direction to demand answers, not just about the raid yesterday, but about many of the activities of the Biden administration over the, over the last couple of years. Talking to Congressman Jim Banks of the Indiana 3rd District. The FBI certainly has lost credibility. The Steele dossier just being a great example of this, the Mueller investigation uh, being a a great example of the loss of credibility that we see in the FBI or in in, uh, our our institutions uh, in, in general. And there have been knocks on President Trump, and I argue that these are rational and logical knocks that you had the opportunity to just start dismissing people, and you didn't. So when you talk about fighting back, sir, allow me to Put a couple of things forward. Is it the intention of the Republican Party, if they have uh, uh, power, and certainly when they get the, if they get the presidency in 2024, to fire FBI agents until there is a new threshold of what is acceptable put in place? Well, we have to clean out, clean up the FBI, clean up the Department of Justice, and I expect the next 
president, um, you know, as likely as anybody to be Donald Trump will have an opportunity to do that if he's if he's the president after the election in 2024. But in the meantime, the next couple of years, focus on that first. When we will have the majority in the House, we have oversight and accountability powers that we didn't have before. And I guarantee you we are going to use them. At least the House House Republican conference is going to use them. By, by providing oversight that's been lacking, and not just the last couple of years, but for many years, even when Republicans were in charge before, uh, to go after the, uh, the Department of Justice, other departments within the Biden administration to demand answers and accountability. So we have to use it. I, I believe that it is a new Republican Party that is ready, willing, and, and we, will, we, have, we have a strategy to use those uh, authorities that we are, are guaranteed by the Constitution as a legislative branch of government that we haven't been good at using before. And uh, and we're going to use that when we take back the majority. If the Republican Party believes that the FBI is incapable of doing its job in a nonpartisan way, will there be calls starting today for the firing of top brass throughout the FBI? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Those calls have already started. And, and Tony, we we have to be open to... Uh, to impeachment of top officials in the Biden administration as well. We can't shy away from that if the evidence leads uh, to, to facts that show that this raid was political in nature, then we absolutely need to put impeachment on the table of the top officials of the DOJ and the FBI. The other part of this is a political uh, conversation. And from Andrew Cuomo, of all people, the ex-governor, disgraced governor of New York, to David Axelrod and a host of others staring at this and saying, my gosh, DOJ, what have you actually done here? You also have to explain yourself. Those calls have come not necessarily from elected officials, but from people who still carry some level of weight in in uh, the, the Democratic Party. You've said you want answers to this. Are there any Democrats, any um, uh, people you work with, who have also demanded answers for this? Will we see Congress in a singular voice say, can you explain this to us? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, you've heard you've heard almost every Republican, whether they like Donald Trump or not, call for those answers today. Even 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 some of those who impeached, who vote, Republicans who voted to impeach Donald Trump, are are crying out for answers about what this raid was all about. And you mentioned a couple of, of powerful Democrat figures who are asking this question as well. So I think you, I hope that you will see that. But so far, that that those calls have only been those questions have only been met with silence from. Figures like Nancy Pelosi who and Chuck Schumer, they, they've been asked about the raids, and, and they don't know how to answer the question. So they've, they've been silent about it. But I, I imagine right now you, you, you feel a, a momentum and a movement building up here by the American people at large to demand answers about what's going on. Congressman Jim Banks, uh, chair of the Republican Study Committee of the Indiana 3rd District, I appreciate you taking the time to answer the questions. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. The Dow is down just 10. The Nasdaq down 178. Chip stocks are falling. And Ford is increasing the price of their electric F-150, the Lightning, because of material cost increases, up another $8,500. Well, of course, everything's more expensive. So stop telling me that the economy is doing great, inflation isn't an issue, and people have more money in their pocket. No, they do not. Never mind, best of luck if you can get a new vehicle. I got a 
a letter from from a local car dealership. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. What's going on? And I happen to know the general manager of the store. And so the letter was like, we want to buy your used so-and-so. And I text him like, you really want to buy this thing? He goes, we'll buy anything. So I'm like, all right, I sell it to you. I got to go. I got to go buy a new car or a used car. Uh, do I, do I want to even begin to pay that price right now? Yes, I can get the most for it, but now what do I go do? Right? It's not like, you know, you're the guy with the paperclip. You're trying to trade it up to a car. Uh, it's not going to happen. Crazy. Crazy what's going on with uh, the money. Let me go to the phones. Jay is on the line. Jay, welcome to the show. What's going on, man? Yeah, hey, Tony, thanks much for taking my call. You guys uh, are great patriots. I'm glad they haven't found a way to shut you down. But I had two points I'd like to bring up. Sure. Talk about, well, why were there 30 FBI agents Okay, showing up without Trump there? Well, it's obvious. Were there 30 people walking around behind each agent finding out if they're putting – I don't know. I wouldn't put a patch in there. Buggin is is uh, Mar-a-Lago, you know. Uh, oh man, we're, okay, you're, you're 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 right into it, aren't you? I mean, you went right well, into yeah. or they're dropping ricin or fentanyl. Oh, come on now. We're going to stop you right there, Jay, and I appreciate the call, but we're going to put the end to that right there, right? First, you went right into the conspiratorial. The FBI came to bug Trump's place. They raided Trump's house in Florida, Mar-a-Lago. Or they're going to they're gonna plant fentanyl on him? No, no, no. Stop that. Sometimes it isn't that thing. Sometimes you don't have to overthink it. The argument before us on the raid on Trump's home is that the raid wasn't required. Let's argue for a moment that he had classified information from the White House that he took with him. This was already a known conversation. There was no need for the raid. There was no need for 30 FBI agents at the crack of dawn or whatever it was. There, uh, supposedly, the, the Secret Service got a heads up an hour before. There was no need for it. So why did it happen? If you had argued that there were going to be more demands for the materials, that would have been one thing. And yes, whether it was the FBI or whether it was the DOJ, uh, that could have taken place. That would not have created this what-the-hell moment. It's the raid. It's the abuse of power. It is the violent action against an American citizen that you were already in communication with. What was the point of it? That is what people are reacting to. It was done, well, we're waiting to get an answer. But you can't stop the political beast from moving. Every rational person knows it was done for a political purpose. Andrew McCarthy former uh, uh, Southern District New York uh, assistant uh, DA, U.S. Uh, District Attorney, stating that this is clear, this is obvious. It wasn't about classified documents. It was about January 6th. I have got the former governor of New York, a disgraced human being, that the DOJ has to explain itself. 
It has to be more than a search for inconsequential archives or it will be viewed as a political tactic and undermine future credible investigations. Some people have said, well, maybe this is just a, a, a setup, right? Uh, because if, 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 if you set it up like this and you say, hey, raids are not acceptable, then no one can raid Hunter Biden, right? There might be a reason for the FBI to do a raid. That is not the thing that is being objected to in Toto. What's being objected to is that you would do a raid in a case where you were already speaking with the subject. It wasn't necessary. It was a violent act. It was an act of intimidation. It was an act of political hate and bigotry. It was an act of retribution, which is not an American thought process. And if you argue, well, how do you know that? Baby, I'm discussing how it's viewed by the people. This took four seconds to figure out. And people out there on Twitter want to deny it. They want to deny it. Oh, remember, uh, Trump appointed Christopher Ray to head up the FBI. Yeah, Trump doesn't pick good people. Trump picked Michael Cohen for the love of God. Does that excuse in any way, shape, or form the raid? Of course not. Are they raiding it, his home, to plant drugs and, 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 and listening devices? Two things. They already have the listening devices. <laughs> that's, that's number one. And number two, they didn't go to plant drugs. I mean, that's just... That's one of those things that you would expect Harry Reid to say in the well of the Senate. You know, uh, Mitt Romney doesn't pay his taxes. Well, sir, what proof do you have? Well, don't ask me. Ask Mitt Romney. Right? Now, Harry Reid did do that, so maybe you've got a point. But they're not going to do that. That's not it. That is not it. Not at all, man. Not at all and not in any way. The FBI has created for itself an issue. And I should state it a little differently. The political left has created for itself an issue in this. And that's why you're seeing people like Cuomo, like Axelrod, and I'm assuming you'll hear from others today say, what the hell is this? What in the world is this? This doesn't help. Politically, it doesn't help at all. At all. But Trump is not the only thing going on in the world today. Although it did dominate the day. Another $5.5 billion for Ukraine. Retired Army Major Mike Lyons is with us to break it down. And does Ukraine have any chance of being victorious? Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. In Ukraine, war continues. $5.5 billion is now going from the U.S. to Ukraine. It's just money on top of money on top of money. With seemingly no end in sight, is that the way it should be? And is there any amount of money that will get Ukraine to victory? Can they achieve victory? And as a matter of fact, maybe we're asking the wrong question. What does victory even look like? 
Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, an absolute pleasure to be with you guys. 833-GOT-TONY. That's the number. Feel free. 833-468-8669. The $5.5 billion is $4.5 billion in budgetary support and a billion dollars in military assistance. Major Mike Lyons joins us right now, retired United States Army West Point guy, military analyst on TV and radio. He is our guy as well. This $5.5 billion, this is what's going to make the difference for Ukraine? Hey, Tony, great to be back. I wouldn't say it's going to make a difference. It's going to allow them to, to get up and fight another day. Uh, they are in a war of attrition right now with Russia. Both sides are exhausted. You, you know, I read the reports that come out every day that say you know, Russia gains you know, a couple of feet at a time. I mean, there's just really no movement forward. We've sent artillery. We've sent all, all, all other kinds of military aid uh, to Ukraine, and they're just you know, holding their own in the Donbass region. But the harsh reality on the ground is Ukraine's lost about one-fifth of its former land mass, and then the areas of high industrial places in Ukraine, uh, chemical factories, uh, fertilizer factories, grain uh, farmlands, and the, and the like. Um, so if Russia stopped right now, which would be great from a humanitarian perspective, you wouldn't necessarily say Ukraine has won uh, anything. So uh, this is going to allow them to fight uh, in, the, in the coming months. We've given about $18 billion so far. To date, uh, that's that's literally roughly what the Ukraine military had spent annually on itself prior to this, and so we're seeing that we can throw money at this. It's going to just maybe manage little or less destruction, but Russia still remains a, a power when it comes to the materials and the men and the kit it can bring to the battlefield. So let's talk about what Russia has been able to do because they were met with resistance. And they showed a tremendous amount of ignorance and in, 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 in inept and incapable fighting force. But as time has gone on, and it has been months now, uh, they have been able to replenish, whether it's grabbing guys uh, by the barrel of a gun or some other type of force, and replenish the fighters. How much land have they grabbed? You talk about a foot at a time. And is Ukraine willing at this stage of the game to permanently give any of that land up? No, the Ukraine is not willing to give it up, and what they want is to go on the counteroffensive. But if you look at the ask from the Ukraine government, um, from Zelensky to the U.S. and NATO, he's asking for virtually an army and in terms of the amount of equipment, you know, hundreds of tanks, uh, hundreds of artillery pieces, uh, the HIMARS systems, which is um, more accurate. It, it is providing them uh, the capability to destroy command and control and lines of communications uh, that Russia is having in the Donbass region. But what, what, Russia, what, what Ukraine needs to go on the offensive is men, and they just don't have that. A country of only you know, 40 million people, you've seen how many people have left already, how many able-bodied men can actually fight this war uh, for them as Russia can continue to throw bodies into the fire. We saw them conscript 100,000 back in March. We'll see if some of them make their way uh, in, let's say, August, September time frame. I think that Russia likely is trying to keep powder dry for another offensive that will take place in the fall, in the winter, possibly, where they could move quicker. They won't be as hot. Uh, they could possibly increase their supply lines a, a lot better than uh, what they can do right now. So when we talk about victory for Ukraine, it is about pushing Russia back to the Russian border, keeping Ukraine as a whole, including Donetsk and Luhansk, those areas, to the southeast. And that's victory for uh, Ukraine. 
is there anything Russia could do to stop this right now and still show that, hey, we we did it or, hey, we got it. He can go. Vladimir Putin can go back to his people, and say, look, look what I did. Or is there something that the Russian people this stage of the game are saying uh, in 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 the guise of or in the likes of, well, you, you killed uh, this many of our people so far. You might as well get the damn country now. Well, it's a great question. I think that, um, that that he could do this, um, but maybe he needs one more thing, right? And that's always the issue in, in life. Right? Let me go to kind of one more step. And, and you saw from the tax this morning that one more step might be Odessa. If they could surround uh, Ukraine and landlock them, take away the, the last 5% they have of the Black Sea, um, that, that now brings an economic statecraft from Russia to Ukraine. If Russia can't get uh, goods and equipment to port and can't and can't move uh, goods and services through other, other countries, can't generate revenue, it, it's as bad as, as being in, invaded, let's say, on, on some level. So I, I think Vladimir Putin could do that. He could go back to his people and say, this is what we've gained and we've, we've destroyed the fascists and the Nazis, whatever he said that, that we were doing initially. And, and could and could do that, and and the question is whether or not the international community, the West, does do they let him back in? I you know people, I still think you know, you, you, they're just pining away for February 23rd when nothing, none of this happened and everything was good. I mean, they still had 180,000 troops on the Ukraine border, and everybody thought they were just going to do nothing. But uh, but everybody wants that situation where the Germans can go ahead and buy uh, Ukraine, uh, Russian oil and gas again, and and, and everything is good. Uh, world's different, and the world's changed, and uh, Zelensky is not going to stop. I, I think that uh, even if the Russians declare some kind of peaceful ceasefire, they're going to have to defend the fifth of the of Ukraine that they've taken, and I think you're going to see a guerrilla war take place there potentially for many years. I don't doubt that because why would uh, what we would they will eventually label as Ukrainian freedom fighters? Why would they ever stop? Take this a little geopolitical. Uh, for for a moment here, the U.S. sending five and a half billion more dollars, right? There, there was you, you talk about the money spent eighteen billion, actually forty billion was, was allocated. Uh, mm-hmm. So, what is U.S. victory here, and what is European victory here? Well, I think this has mobilized Europe in the in the way that NATO now has become relevant again, and in, in, in a in a much more concrete manner. The Germans have have become more uh, aware of of the, their own self defense. I you know I, before I wasn't for adding these tripwire countries into NATO like the Baltics. Um, you're you're going to see Poland now is is the future of of Europe in a, in a lot of ways, and and old Europe, let's say France and Germany, are, are in the past. Uh, you U S military thinks I, I think we're going to put a core back, a core of let's say a hundred thousand troops back full time in Europe. I think you know you talk to some folks, and when we took this out uh, during the the late nineties. Uh, there was really, and finally, when Obama took the last fifty thousand troops out, you, you, there was a lot of pushback for it. Well, they're going, they're going back, and they're going back to great places like Romania and Poland and, and Sweden and Finland and, and possibly the Baltics. And I think we're going to bypass Germany. So, so what what does you you know for, for the United States and, and, and Europe? I think this has been galvanizing for them. And if we can get some decent European leadership, and we're seeing it from the polls, let's say, I think that uh, it's going to go a long way for economic for European market for both economic security as well as, um, as as regular national security for each one of those good different countries. They're going to drag the French and the Germans kicking and screaming to, into this, you know, whether they like it or not. Now turn it the other way. 
You're China. You're watching all this happen. There is a uh, a story or, or a comment that's attributed to Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, uh, mm-hmm. that says, uh, what does he want for his birthday? He wants to see China invade. And mm-hmm. uh, they're like, no, seriously. He goes, oh, no, no, I want to see China invade because I want to see Russia and what they do about it when China crosses Russia to, to get to us. Yeah. China's watching. What's yeah. their plan? Yeah, Tony, I'm really concerned what's happening there for the United States' perspective. I mean, that, you know, Nancy Pelosi's trip was potentially, uh, you know, a Sophie, a Franz Ferdinand, and a you know, bullet mom- you know, moment here if something would have happened. All it takes is a little triggering, and uh, you can start a, a very large conflict there in that part of the world. And both sides are talking past each other. The United States is telling China, ah, come on, cut it out. Everything's good. We're going to, you know, John Kerry's got to have to park his, you know, G5 there for a while. And, you know, they don't want to talk climate control anymore. And, and the Chinese are flat out telling us, you're going to die in the fires and embers of our burning hull. No, no one's, there's a big disconnect taking place there. And I, and China's always had this strategic patience when it's come to this. Um, and I, you know, the only thing I'm thinking is that, you know, for, to, you know, the question I, I'd, I'd ask you and what, what is, is China a rising power or declining power? And there's there's great arguments on both sides of that coin. And I, I'm now looking more on the declining power side because, you know, they, they've not had this military that's been done anything since you know the late 70s when they lost in, in, in Vietnam and places like that. And if there's one thing the United States still is is a is a military superpower. You know, we we've you know, like the Romans and like other super, superpowers in the history of the world, you know, our military can turn it up and turn it on pretty quickly if we have to. Now we're outgunned, we're outmanned. They got a bigger navy, and so there's a great article in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend that talked about the coming fight in Taiwan, and uh, it, it could lead. You know, they could sink a carrier. There's lots of things they could do. It would take a long time for us to wind it back up, but um, I'm, I'm thinking China is running out of strategic patience. And I'm, I'm, I'm it, hard to say that, but it, it's, it's possible that, that, that some trigger events happen, and you could see a conflict explode there pretty quick. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army West Point guy, and of course, uh, military analyst on TV and radio. While I've got you, let's talk a little bit uh, about China, and let's discuss uh, the Taiwan conversation. Taiwan mm-hmm. now engaging in military exercises as China engaged in some very rough and tumble military exercises, putting missiles into the Sea of Japan, not too far off the coast uh, of, of Japan, letting Taiwan know that it is part of China. The one China policy remains doesn't matter if the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, comes for a, a visit. We have been discussing this for months in the wake of the horrific pullout of Afghanistan that Taiwan must be very worried that China looks at this, sees American incompetence, and says, uh, this could be our moment. Is there, uh, amongst military experts, people who study these things day in and day out, a conversation of chat or whatever it may be, that China senses the move has to be now, uh, otherwise they may have more problems down the road? Yeah, Tony, there is. And I, the, the people, the, you know, kind of the circles I run in, the people, people I talk to think that in the past, if that was 10 or 20 percent of an opportunity, this is now more of a you know, 50 percent, 60 percent thing. There's, there's real likelihood. Um, you know, there's, it's that whole expression about there's a lot of things you can do with bayonets, but sit on them. And then given the amount of militarization they've done to the South China Sea, it's it just what's the trigger? Um, is it a, another Pearl Harbor type moment where they just unleash an offense? of operation with new weapon systems in the offense, like hypersonic missiles, and, and, and clearly strike first. 
And they'd have to, similar to what the Japanese did in the, in the Second World War, they'd have to destroy a lot of U.S. assets. This sounds crazy, but they'd have to destroy a lot of U.S. naval assets right up front and, and in order for them to accomplish any kind of objective of trying to take Taiwan. Now, go back to if they try to take Taiwan, they might have to destroy it to take it. Now, look what, again, go back to economic statecraft, all the things that are manufactured there, the semiconductors and the like. So if China is this rising power, uh, like you think, then uh, they can wait. They have the strategic patience. But if they're the declining power, then they recognize they're running out of time, and uh, they're more than willing to kind of burn it all down to, to start all over. The, the whole purpose for the United States cannot be, though, to get sucked into something where we then lose our, our advantages that we have in, in the region there. Uh, because they're not only going to attack us, they'll attack the Australians, the Japanese. They'll threaten Japan, and, and obviously in particular. And it is the Australians and the Japanese where I'm curious where to see uh, Europe and some other nations are in trying to keep China at, at bay. You would think you would want those trade partners, never mind people who aren't uh, communist nations. But right. you brought this up twice now, this idea of China as declining power. If you ask me, you and me on a bar stool, and I've said it here on the show, mm-hmm. I believe China is a paper tiger. They do mm-hmm. have a military, but they have never been punched in the nose. And right. I cannot believe that their people, actually their military, could handle such a thing without falling apart. So the, the, the question before us is declining power or never as strong as they would like to let on because they've never actually been challenged. Right. I, so military as a as a paper tiger is a function of though until it until it does something. I mean, you you got to look in history again and show all of the different times. You know, in May of 1940, the strongest military in, in the history of the world at that point was the, was the French. And we saw what the German Wehrmacht did to them and, and, and to Dunkirk and the like that happened there. The uh, United States was unproven after Vietnam. We were, we, were, we were hollow force. We were called the hollow force by the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and by Chiefs of Staff of the Army. And then all of a sudden Desert Storm comes in, and we all see that, no, we're really not a hollow force, and everything came off the shelf. So I, you know, I don't want to know if, if I want to test that out because what China has, like Russia has, is people, and they have munitions, and they have 600 ships, and they have, they have mass, and they have velocity. They have all the principles of war. That um, you know, if they kind of put them all together, who knows about the leadership? And you're right. Who knows how they'll actually act when they get punched in the face? The question is, they're going to try to fight this without getting punched in the face. They're going to go out there so offensively. The only way to do it is to go out there so offensively and not get punched back in the face. And if they could cripple the United States and cripple all of those assets there and, and do what they want to do in, in the South China Sea, then then we might never know. It's going to take a couple. It's going to take a couple of years for us to ramp up our military to do something. Well, it's going to start with actually putting more ships at sea, which is a whole different uh, issue. Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. You can find him on Twitter, M-A-J, Mike Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S, M-A-J for Major, Major Mike Lyons on Twitter. I appreciate you being with us. We've got more. I'm Tony Katz. So if we're going to play the game of how does this Trump raid, you know, affect politics, which I want to get into Here's an interesting one, and this was was a stunning bit of news, bit of polling. Marco Rubio is in a tie for his Senate reelection with Val Demings, former former congresswoman from Florida, former uh, police chief, or maybe she's still a congresswoman, uh, former police chief of Orlando. The woman I said should have been Joe Biden's running mate instead of Kamala Harris. There would be no conversation as to whether or not Val Demings could be somebody who could take over for Joe Biden. As opposed to Kamala Harris, who absolutely no one believes 
could take over for Joe Biden. <laughs> they each have 45% of the vote. Now, progressive groups are saying, we waited this to Republicans and we're still coming out 45-45. I think that's a, I think that's more of a talking point. I, 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 I think that's what it is. It's interesting that that in Florida, with everything DeSantis is doing, there's no coattail conversation. And even though he's not running in this election, and, and that it would be a tie. So I don't know, like with all polls, I don't know if I believe it fully. But if there's a question as to whether or not this Trump raid makes a difference, this could be the race to look at. This could be the race to look at. I mean, 45-45 in Florida. Yeah, we'll see if this plays or is all politics really local. Find everything at TonyCats.com and locals, TonyCats.locals.com. We've got cool stuff going on over there. This is Tony Katz today.